Good morning. Uh, let's get started with a word of prayer. Our Father, thank you that we can gather together this morning using this means to open your word together and to share in this bond of Christian fellowship around your precious word of truth and around your word of grace. Thank you for the fullness of that grace, which has been revealed through Paul. Thank you for the blessing that it is to open the word and to share, to receive this spiritual food that we find here well-preserved, Father, by yourself through so many centuries of time. Yet we're the recipients, we're the, the ones uh, being blessed this morning by that precious word of truth. So thank you for that. And Father, I pray that you would uh, bless our hearts as we open it together and that it would meet our needs always. Thank you for your grace, which is always sufficient through the shed blood of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Thank you for the justification that is ours through the risen Lord Jesus. And uh, Father, thank you again for this day, the blessings of it. May we always redeem the time. Father, we do uphold our leaders uh, in this nation. There's darkness everywhere in this world except in the hearts of your people, Father. But we know that that does not mean you're not working in other ways to secure that your purpose is met individually and in nations and governments and whether here or around the world. So, Father, you're never sleeping, never without your work yet to be done. Pray that you would work in our nation to draw it back on a course that could honor and glorify you. We pray for our leaders that they would have insights into that which is truly just and good for our people and for our nation. And I pray especially for our president and those that serve with him. We also pray for all those in other areas of government, whether federal, state, or local, that you would uh, encourage those that stand for truth and uh, righteousness and that they might be examples, Father, of that in their own work and in their own lives. So, Father, as we open your word this morning, uh, please comfort the hearts of those that hear and may yet hear this uh, message in the future. And, Father, for those suffering greatly, we know even those in our midst who are, I just commit them to you, Father, for your, in Christ's name, amen. So we're uh, continuing in our uh, studies uh, in Paul's letter to the Philippians today, and uh, we've reached a verse which is often taken out of context. And that's where Paul says we should work out our salvation, our own salvation with fear and trembling there in verse 11. So we'll be focused specifically on that great work today. But to lead into that, I'd just like to give an overview of where we've come from uh, here in our studies in Philippians. And you'll remember that exhortation, verse 5 of chapter 2, 
let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We looked at that carefully recently, uh, especially last time and uh, time before. And what we sought to see and understand is the background of it, the context of it. The background, really, of, of this exhortation here in verse 5 is what was happening in heaven's glory just before just before the incarnation began. Okay, so uh, we know that from Hebrews chapter 10, that itself quotes Psalm 40, right? So the plan of God required the Son of God to become incarnate, to come to this earth, uh, born of a woman. And uh, as the seed of the woman then, ultimately dying for the sins of the world and uh, then being gloriously raised from the dead. That part of the redemptive plan of God needed to be fulfilled. And in the heavenly calendar, as it were, that timing had now come. So that's uh, where Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, really uh, takes us uh, into this high and heavenly realm of truth, right? Just before the incarnation. Now. The incarnation will begin then at the point where the conception in uh, the Virgin Mary occurs. The incarnation doesn't begin at the birth of Christ. Many think incorrectly that's that's where it begins. But if you think of this more carefully, you realize that it actually began uh, nine months earlier, right? So the apostle uh, here exhorts, and we realize there are two particular women in mind who are causing division in the church in Philippi by uh, exalting each person against the other, right? And so Christ uh, there and his mode of thinking, his uh, mindset just before the incarnation is used by the Apostle Paul here uh, as the foundation of this exhortation. So he says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also highly exalted him hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in the earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So in verses 7 and 8, as we looked recently, we saw that's where Christ's emptying is found. He gave up much of what was rightfully his in heaven's glory in order to enter into the incarnation. Then in verses 9 through 11, Christ's exaltation and how that uh, was the consequence, really, of the incarnation, right? 
Christ's exaltation is not finished yet. It will only be finished at the time when this earthly uh, history is concluded, when the new heavens and the new earth are brought to pass ultimately. So that's what we find here in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. And that's the foundation for what we're looking at today, beginning in verse 12. Now, there's a sevenfold emptying of uh, the pre-incarnate Son of God there in verses 7 and 8, sevenfold. And the number 7 takes uh, the the role uh, of being uh, at the very structure of the letter because four different times there will be seven important truths communicated. And in this section, the sevenfold uh, emptying of the Lord uh, made himself of no reputation. Number one. Number two, took the form of a servant. Number two. Number three, made in the likeness of men. Number four, and found in fashion as a man. Number five, he humbled himself. Number six, and became obedient unto death. Number seven, even the death of the cross. This is very high teaching, but very practical, because on the basis of this, the apostle will go on and exhort the believers in some detail here in the verses we're looking at today. So let's look into that. Uh, The outline will be how salvation works. First of all, the exhortation in verse 12. Secondly, the Lord's working, in other words, his part of that working, verse 13. And then the believer is working our part in that, the fruit-bearing part, verses 14 through 16. So how does salvation work? Well, as the Lord works and as believers work, we see the complete picture of how salvation, glorious salvation, the salvation that comes to our Lord Jesus Christ by faith alone, how that works. Now, I I picked those words there, how salvation works, out of the second verse we want to look at. But the first one, verse 12, it sets the stage for this and uh, and uses these words uh, that many find quite confusing. They shouldn't. They shouldn't, but many do. So the reading today, verse 12. Roy, would you please read verse 12 of Philippians chapter 2? Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Thank you, Roy. There are those words. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. (laughs) If you've known the Lord a long time, then you've probably heard teaching uh, directed specifically at this verse uh, occasionally, right? And, uh, Many go here to uh, say that our salvation is by faith plus works. And there are whole branches of Christendom that are focused on salvation by faith plus works, as if somehow the works were right in the center of their faith in the sense that 
our salvation is defined by them in some fashion or other. And of course, when this is the case, when, when people think of this this way, then all the focus is on the works, right? <laughs> because that's human nature, and that's the nature of religion. Religion is designed by the evil one to set up a system of works that must be accomplished, and uh, that only fuels the uh, the sin nature, what Scripture calls the flesh, it fuels it. And uh, one failure then to live up to the standard leads to additional effort to bridge the gap, as it were, <laughs> uh, seeking perfection in this life according to whatever law has been laid down. And there's no end to the cycle. There's no end to the cycle. So what religion does is to create uh, total dependence on a system uh, and on everything that supports that system and leaves those uh, adherents, those participants, in a constant state of uh, sort of a bipolar life, uh, up and down, up and down, with failure often dominating and the guilt that goes with that. So then that gets projected back on God in some way or another. So that's a, a very negative kind of life to live, but that's where many are. And many go to this verse here to uh, sort of substantiate that. I'll read it again. Um, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have all, always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This is not a complete sentence, really, uh, continues on in verse 13 with the word, big word for. We'll get to that in a moment. But uh, before we go there, uh, I'd just like to say there are other places where Paul writes about works. In fact, he writes about works a lot. It's not a minor subject. It's a major subject. Um, and in some of our favorite uh, scriptures, favorite from the point of view of how clearly they teach the grace of God as, as at the very center of our salvation, right? Uh, we also see works mentioned, but mentioned in an interesting way, so in an important way. So let's look and see how. In Ephesians chapter 2, that would be the first place I would go regarding this subject. Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, verse 8, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So there you see, by grace that we're saved through faith, right? But then he goes on and he says, we are his workmanship. <laughs> uh, so this is taking uh, our salvation one step further, right? So we're saved by grace through faith, right? And it's a gift of God and not of works. But then he says, we are his workmanship. So uh, when, a, when a, an individual sinner is saved, there's a great work of God, and gifts are given, and so forth. Uh, the gift of salvation, the gift of faith, and 
all of that, as he's just said there. But then he says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, okay? Which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Okay, so salvation brings along with it other things that are very important. And he says uh, good works right in the center of that. We're created unto good works. What that means, of course, is that uh, a believer has then opened unto himself a whole realm of living that he didn't have before, she didn't have before as an unbeliever, as a as sinner, uh, under the judgment and wrath of God, really, right? Um, there was no opportunity. Being bound by sin doesn't leave any options, right? But once one is delivered from that and saved, then one is delivered into a new realm of living, and in that realm, good works are appropriate. And that's what it says right here. And he says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Okay, so the new life that we have in Christ can be characterized by good works, right? That's what he says right there. But he says that we're his workmanship, so really it all reflects back on the Lord God in any case, always. Okay? Um, there are other places where Paul writes about this too in such a powerful way as we just read. And uh, one of them is in Titus and one's in Galatians. I'd like to just read them both. Titus chapter 3, verse 8. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will, that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. Okay? So he says, those that have believed in God, you might, as a believer... And the way he writes it makes it seem as if you might, as a believer, sort of forget that many around you will be benefited by your works if only you will consider them correctly and their needs, right? So he says, uh, they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto Men, okay, so uh, good works are, are there available to us, and we're supposed to take advantage of the opportunity, as it were. It's a privilege, really, to, to live in a way that's good. What the word really means pleasant, pleasant and appropriate, right? And he says here, these things are good and profitable unto men. But then in Galatians chapter 5, and here there are two verses that summarize the entire Christian life in just two verses, Galatians chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith, 
For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision. Okay. So you can summarize the Christian life here this way, and he does it. This is uh, really, I think, in just that many words, sort of the most powerful statement of this found anywhere. He says, we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. You don't get caught up in, in religious uh, systems, he says. The circumcision, for example, doesn't even count for anything. It's no value, right? Nor uncircumcision, for that matter, he said. But, but um, you know, when one lives one's life, one should live that life with the fruit of the Spirit dominating. So he says, but faith which worketh by love. Faith works by love. Love is the first uh, segment of the fruit of the Spirit mentioned in Galatians chapter 5. A few verses later than, than this verse we just read, which is uh, verse number 6. Okay, so verse 13 uh, gets down to the uh, fruit of the Spirit and what's involved in that. So basically what Paul is simply saying is that believers are... Uh, delivered out of the realm of death into the realm of life, out of the realm of guilt and failure into the realm of justification and uh, and confidence in the Lord and his uh, promises and in in a realm of uh, not not um, perdition, which is a, a word we also looked at recently, but also uh, he says, in fact, Far more, we're delivered out of the degradation of this world and what it all means. Death sort of casts a, a pall on everything, but we're delivered, delivered out of that into the realm of life and uh, and power and glory. And uh, the fruit of the Spirit is right in the center then of our lives. Love, joy, peace long-suffering, meekness, gentleness, and so forth and so on. Okay, so that's uh, uh, what we started out with here to consider how salvation works. He says, well, first of all, there's an exhortation. You're supposed to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, meaning now that you're saved, you live in this new realm and you see the opportunities that that provides. But he says, don't forget the gravity of the situation, right? It is God. Now he's going to, that's the next verse here, where he explains it all, right? The fear and the trembling. Why fear and trembling? Why should we uh, consider things so seriously as that? Verse 13 tells us. So, um, Lewis, would you please read Philippians 2.13 for us? For it is God who worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Thank you, Lewis. <laughs> you see the word for. When you see the word for, all Bible teachers say this, so I'll just repeat. When you see the word for, you must ask what it's there for. Now, what he's doing is explaining or providing some foundation for what was just stated, okay? 
So he says, work out your salvation, your own salvation, with fear and trembling. Why? For <laughs> it is God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Now, when we hear those words or read those words, it is God which worketh in you, we should immediately respond with, total awe and wonder concerning this simple fact. God has taken a sinner worthy of not only death, but eternal judgment, right? He's taken a sinner, in this case yourself, right? You're a believer. He's taken you out of that realm and put you in a totally different place, right? Uh, so your feet are still here on, on this earth, but your head and heart are in the heavenlies, right? And you're living now in a different world, as it were. It's like being transported out of one country into another, or far more than that, out of one realm where you were very comfortable before, and now you're in a different place, a different time. It's a different environment altogether, right? with new opportunities that abound. And it is God who is doing the work each each moment of each day, right? It is God who is working, a present tense, in you. Not only to accomplish these good works. See, that many put the focus on that. And I hear this word obedience continue. And, you know, I, I always like to ask them you know, the follow-up question when the word obedience is used obedience to what, right? Because many times people have the wrong concept of this altogether, right? But here he says, both to do of his good pleasure, but then he just said, and to will. <laughs> that word will is the word for desire, okay? Both to desire and to perform. That's what it's saying, to will and to do. Both to desire and to perform what, according to some religious system? No, according to his good pleasure, right? And so God is giving you the, the, the desires. That, that's the guiding force in you. God is the guiding force. He's giving you the desire now that you didn't have as an unbeliever. Now things are entirely different, right? He's giving you the desire. Now you still have the sin nature dwelling within you, and so do I, right? And desires come from that source as well, okay? And it's up to us then, with the help of the Spirit of God, to discern the difference. So love, for example, there's a love that comes from God, from the new nature that's now dwelling within us, and there's a love that will come from the sin nature. They're totally different from one another. They're not even related, okay? One is pure, one is godly, and one is thoroughly evil, okay? Uh, so what Paul is saying is that we need to work out to actively bring forth um, our salvation in the new life that he's given us. And he says the desires are there. God's put them in you that will be springing forth. And you will be able, you'll be enabled, empowered 
to perform those according to his good pleasure. Why? How? Because God's working in you. Isn't that a glorious? It's so glorious, really, just to sit back, relax, and consider this. <laughs> By sitting back and relaxing, I'm saying, take yourself out of the chaos <laughs> that you might have been in in the day, right? You may have been overwhelmed by the affairs of this life, right? And that, those challenges are there every day. That The enemies at work, um, <laughs> his playground is around us here, uh, and uh, yet we can take ourselves out of that uh, and uh, just consider that God is also working, and how is he working in us to desire uh, that which is according to his good pleasure, right? And to give us the ability to do it, to perform it. All of that is in verse 13. Isn't that a wonderful thing? What a, what a pleasure it is, really, to consider these verses. Don't forget, though, that he's just said it's with fear and trembling. In other words, this is really... Heavy teaching. This is serious stuff, right? It, it's not a small thing. I, mean, I I think of how people gather in giant edifices, great buildings, uh, uh, paid for uh, sacrifice of many people over a long period of time, and they do that with all kinds of multimedia and flashing lights and colors and sound and whatever, and uh, missed out entirely on this teaching here. and probably have never heard it because it's never been preached to them. But every believer has responsibility. The word is here. It's written, right? Take time to receive this teaching and see the fruit of it. Uh, that's uh, the exhortation, right? Um, so this is heavy teaching. But wonderful teaching indeed. Let's continue on and look at our final thing today uh, uh, as how, how salvation works, right? Well, there's the, the aspect, uh, the details of how it's all going to happen, right? So Paul gets to those details here in verses 14, 15, and 16, and the details may seem... Uh, somewhat overwhelming for some, especially those that are caught up in worldly things, as, in fact, two women were. Remember, Paul mentioned them by name, right? But, um, Patty, I'd like you to, uh, to re read for us these three verses that give us the details now of how God wants to work according to his good pleasure, verses 14, 15, and 16. Do all things without murmurings and disputing, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Right. Okay. So... Here's the, the detailed part of the exhortation. So 
if if we would first of all let this mind be in us, which is in Christ Jesus, right? As he considered offering himself up out of pure love for sinners, right? And he proceeded to do that, right? And then uh, as a result of his completed work, we have now become believers, right? And uh, the apostle then exhorts based upon that, and he says, we need to work out our salvation. Uh, it's a serious matter indeed, living this new life in the midst of such a dark world, right? And uh, and he says, uh, don't forget it's God who's energizing you to do just that, right? It's like there's a, 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 a an atomic power plant inside each of us operating, right? And the power is far more than what uh, an a, uh, atomic power plant could deliver, right? This is the creative power of God at work, right? And um, so he says, uh, you're enabled, and the desires I'm giving you now follow through, right? And this gets in immediately very, very practical, right? Do all things without murmurings and disputings. <laughs> uh, that's a general statement, but you can only imagine how far it goes, right? If only these things were taken to heart. Uh, those two women in the church at Philippi were caught up in murmurings and disputings and leading others as well into that realm, right? It was dividing the body up and uh, short-circuiting the working of grace in their midst in many ways, right? So he says, do all things without murmurings and disputings that ye may be blameless and harmless. <laughs> uh, this does not mean perfect. What it means is that no one could legitimately bring a charge against you. They can examine your life, look at it very carefully, and they would just see uh, a pure heart and uh, honest and kind spirit, right? That's what they would see, right? That doesn't mean you're perfect, that you're sinless. It's just that that's what people see. It's what's flowing out of your life, right? So blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke. Okay, so <laughs> they don't need to have a special counsel uh, there of the elders to deal with you and, and the, the harm that you've caused to the assembly, right? It will not be needed. All of this will be resolved, right? It only takes a moment, really, to stop the murmuring and the disputing and to immediately, uh, what does he say, shine as lights in the world. Yes, you'll be in the midst of, he says, of a crooked and perverse nation. This is true. In other words, there's going to be such a contrast between those who are in the world and those who are in the light of God, right? living. In fact, you're going to be seen as luminaries. In fact, you know, on a very clear night, if you don't have a lot of light pollution, if you're out in the country, 
and look up into and look at the heavenlies and you see many lights, right? Well, that's the analogy here. He says you're you're going to then shine as lights against that darkness that surrounds you. That's the nature of the exhortation here, but it's not the end of it. <laughs> I'm glad it's not the end of it because you might easily think, well, we need to really come up with some new approach because whatever we've tried before hasn't worked very well. We need a new system, a new religious system, whatever, right? Uh, new counseling techniques, uh, whatever the world offers. But no, no, that's not what he's talking about at all. He says in verse 16, holding forth the word of life. You see that? That's a present tense participle, okay? In other words, you can paraphrase it this way. Do all things without murmurings and disputings while presenting clearly the word of life, right? In your actions, in your words, in everything about you, right? Holding forth the word of life. And he says that if you do it and if I do it, then he, meaning Paul, <laughs> in the day of Christ, that's going to be the day when all all this is uh, brought to fulfillment, right? And we enter into heaven's glory, right? That I may rejoice, he says, in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Paul was very concerned that his ministry would be in vain. And what seemed like small things at the beginning became very serious. The murmurings and disputings of two women and then many others, I'm sure, were disrupting this fellowship greatly. Paul was very concerned that the word of life was not any longer going forth at all, okay? Or it was limited at least compared to what it had been, right? And so he simply says, uh, my goal is that my labor here will bear fruit. And notice that it's not going to be just for a time. It'll be eternal because he's talking here about the future, right? When we're caught up into heaven's glory. He says, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. So everything... All of the fruit in this life is with an eternal prospect. Okay. Well, what a challenge indeed this is. Many today are not knowledgeable of this because they're focused on other things. The affairs of this world uh, are dominant, right? Um, it's easy for that to take place. All of us know what those challenges are, right? But the scripture has the power to lift us out of that realm, only we will take God at his word. So that's really the basis for the exhortation here. Our lives should be shining today <laughs> without any possibility of anyone bringing a true judgment, right? They don't see any basis for the true judgment. The accusations may fly, but they won't stick, really, because uh, we're living beyond that, above and beyond that. So, uh, wow, what a, what, a, what a hope we have that we may live this way, right? 
and not that other way. Well, that's uh, what I wanted to uh, encourage you with today. Um, that we may hold forth the word of life. And let's not forget that. Without the word of life being held forth, in the end, it's all for nothing, right? <laughs> the real problem with the religious systems, or even if they don't call them religious, right? The world is full of these non-religious systems. <laughs> the real problem is that in the end, they totally shut down the word of God and abolish it, right? <laughs> okay, so uh, that that's the consequence of that system or that kind of system. And that's what, of course, Satan himself is energizing that kind of world system, that kind of domination. Because <clears throat> what God is doing is entirely different. And glorious, and we're all part of that, right? Enjoy, enjoy the Lord. I'd love to say that. Reminds me, myself, and uh, you as well. Enjoy the Lord. He's the one working in us to will and to do his good pleasure. Amen. Well, are there any any comments or uh, questions this morning based upon this wonderful uh, teaching from God's Word here found in Philippians? Hi, Jim. Uh, hey, Louis. This is excellent, you know, passages, you know, just something really uh, need to uh, dwell on and uh, think about it and study it. Thank mm. you for sharing. And I have a quick comment. Uh, like you said earlier, in terms of a lot many church preaching about obeying, you know, for example, you know, the, the word over here in Philippines 2.12, we're talking about as you always obey. Yes. The thing is, if we look a little deeper, look at the original transcript, how they, the word was used in Greek, it's actually more along the line of hearken instead of obey. It's very, very different. Hearken just simply the word has been preached to you. Are you listening to it? <laughs> do you yes. believe it? Has a very little to do with obey. Maybe just today is how the English being used. Mm-hmm. But I just feel obey is really robbing a lot of teachings away from Bible. Focus from hearkening uh, to the word to following humans authority. You know, people standing on the pulpit can easily use recite some verses, you know, for example, you know, I can use this example, you know, uh, second, uh, first Samuel 15 <laughs> to obey is better than sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Okay. You can make a huge sermon out of this to <laughs> manipulate the congregation and somehow listening and following the people who preach the message is more important than listening to the word. <laughs> Yes, so thanks for reminding us of that. Yes, I love the word hearken, but of course, nobody today uses that word anymore, right? <laughs> but God does here in his word, doesn't he? Yes. Thank you very much, Lewis. Any other comments? Uh, Jim, I just share yeah. a, a, just cut and paste a passage from uh, um, B+. And they have this uh, commentary Philippians 2, uh, 12. And so you can see that on your Skype. And I feel that their commentary 
is really, really good. So I am sharing with you and people on the Skype as well. Which is it again? Uh, it's from the uh, uh, Bible Hub. Bible copy, Hub, okay. Copy a section of Philippians 2.12. It's from Mayer's uh, New Testament commentary. Okay. Very, very good. Well, thanks so much. Any other comments? Not, we'll go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, thank you for for gathering us and uh, blessing us so greatly, Father. And uh, we're thankful, Father, that uh, uh, you have our entire lives in the hollow of your hand, as it were. And uh, we are yours. And, and uh, as yours, your interest is on us and our well-being. So, Father, I'm so thankful that we can always... Uh, trust in you, whatever our circumstances may be. Yes, we come to you, Father, and we uh, present our requests, but first of all, we give you thanksgivings, and and afterwards, we give you thanksgivings. And our requests are in the middle between thanksgivings. So, Father, thank you so much uh, for each one here today. So, Father, we thank you and look forward to the day and the beauties of it and the opportunities, the privileges that we have. And, and, and the uh, the times that are available to us, may we redeem those times, Father, that you might be honored and glorified now and always. And we would ask that in Christ's name.